Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. There he is, Mr. Apperson. What's up, sir? How are you? You know, another thing that old people like is handwritten notes. Man, absolutely. It seals the deal. It does. Nobody does it anymore. And you, you get a long way with a, like a handwritten thank you letter. You go. So are you familiar with Art of Manliness, that uh, that blog? It's been around for, for I don't know, probably a decade or so. It was one of the first kind of like masculinity movement sort of things. Brett McKay started that on. Are you familiar with that at all? No. Okay. I'm so, sure I've seen probably things from it, but you probably have, man. Yeah. And he's done, you know, at this point he's done like a thousand probably, you know, podcast episodes and he's written some books. He's done really good. And he's a, he's a, he's a legit, legit guy, really good guy, really good family, man. Um, and he's notorious for turning down invites for other things at this point. Right. So like trying to get him on a podcast or like, he's just like, he's notorious for turning it down. We had some young men in, uh, alpha squad. So our very first group who were like, you know what, we're going to go old school, man. He's a big Teddy Roosevelt fan. He's kind of this old school sort of mentality. We're going to write him a letter talking about how we were fans of what he does. And we'd like to get, man, they sat down, had a, they sat down and had a full on interview with him uh, because he, and he's like, yeah, you guys wrote me a handwritten note, man. It made it a done deal. Yeah. 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 So savage, man. So cool, man. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for taking the time, brother. This is uh this is awesome. I've been wanting to get this going for, for quite a while, man. So I appreciate you taking the hour with these guys. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Um, and I, I was telling these guys, you know, I've been a, uh, been a fan, been following you for, for, you know, a while. And it was great to get to go out and, and, uh, and work out. And I actually had my, I wore my archetype boxing shirt yesterday. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, dude, I got to wash it and bring it again. But then we had this, like, we had one of our goats jumped fence and she was trying to get bread with our buck. And so I was wrestling this like 150 pound buck this morning and it got all nasty. So I threw it in there, <laughs> had it on, man. I wanted to represent, <laughs> but it was great to get to, to, to hang out and work out last time I was out there in Austin too. Um, you know, and I was telling these guys, obviously you're a, you're a savage of a human being on, on, uh, you know, on, on the physical fitness part, but your, your character, your business acumen. I mean, those are things that I, you know, put up there, uh, even more, man, it was cool to get to see this. So I want to dive into that a little bit today. Um, and then we'll open it up to these young guys and we'll let them ask the hard questions if if that's cool with you. Sounds great. Awesome. Man. So I always like to start when we have our young guys, I like to go, I like to kind of go back to the past and go, okay, well, these guys are 12, 13, 15, 17, 19. Who was Sean Apperson at, you know, 13, 15, 17? Was he the guy that had it all figured out? Was he the guy that was a hot freaking mess? Was he somewhere in between? Who, who was that young guy? So I would say I'd probably be more on the dorky side when I was like between 12 and 15. Uh, video games weren't really that popular then. Like they weren't, they weren't competing with people's attention like they are now. So, you know, maybe I had that excuse. So we had to be a little more creative and go out and kind of make our own games up. Um, I grew up in a pretty small town uh, in Northern California. It was like a, an old, like gold rush town. So there's not a lot going on. So where were after you? school, it was like basically all the kids in the neighborhood would have to get together and create games and activities. And 
you know, I think that was obviously a benefit looking back because we had to be creative and come up with our own games. Cause now you could like play a video game and you can get the thrill without having to be creative or be physical. So obviously that's not a good, not a good long-term strategy. Um, but you know, I also, we didn't also have good video games to compete. So now things are, people are engineering these games to make them addictive. So it's, it's another level of, um, you know, competition as far as like, do you want to go old school and grassroots and make your own games, which is obviously better for you. Or you could just pop this game in and kind of zone off for seven hours um, and get the same level of, of thrill. So for sure. Uh, where, where were you in Northern California? I'm called Sonora. Okay, man. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's cool. So I, I mean, I grew up in Vacaville, right? Okay. So, I mean, so I was Northern, Northern California too. And, and we got some guys, Northern California guys on this call too. So I didn't realize that you grew up yeah. out there. Yeah. I was born in Clovis and, yeah. um, you know, I was in the Central Valley for a while. That's where I started wrestling yep. and then got involved. Uh, my parents moved us to the, to the gold country and that's where I grew up. And, um, you know, I was always, I think, entrepreneurial a little bit. It was kind of weird. Like my family didn't ever have any money. So I always had to like, I always had these like friends that had tons of money and their parents was always giving them stuff. And they always had the coolest games, new car. And I was always jealous. So I had to like figure out ways to, to be able to hang with them and, and buy things I wanted to. So I had to get a job early, but I was creative of making money from an early age. So I don't know exactly what that was, but I'm sure it was driven from the fact that I didn't have any. And I wanted to do certain things and go places and be able to like go on those trips and ski trips. And um, I had to kind of be, you know, a lot more creative with how I created money. And I still don't really know how I did it, but it was like a combination of a yard work and odd jobs. And it was easier to get a job than like you could be 14 and get a, a part-time yeah. job. And now it's, I don't even know if anyone works at that age anymore, but. Yeah. Well, and that's to their detriment too. I mean, that's that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, these guys grabbing, grabbing work and getting jobs are going to help a hell of a lot more than school. And, and, totally. and that's like, yeah. for sure. That, were your parents, dude, for, for sure. Um, were your parents supportive of that spirit? I don't know. They're pretty like, my parents were, um, my mom was a teacher and my dad worked for the forest service. So he had a government job. Yep. Um, they were, I would say kind of like, kind of hippies, I guess. Um, so they didn't get in the way of anything. They were very like, oh, do whatever you want kind of a uh, approach. So they didn't have a lot of rules. And luckily we didn't make a lot of, like we didn't cause a lot of like trouble. So it wasn't like, it didn't backfire, but I can see how, you know, like it could with some kids, but um, yeah, they were very uh, supportive, especially like you know, when I went to college, they helped me in college because they were making more money then. And then I dropped out of college to pursue like entrepreneurial mixed martial arts dreams. And they were very supportive after paying for like, you know, I went to UCLA. I was probably three quarters from graduating. And I, my goal was to go to medical school. I had really good, I had, I had like a 3.94 GPA. Um, I could have gone to medical school and I dropped out. And um, they didn't freak out. And it was, that was really surprising. Looking back, I, I don't know why they didn't freak out. I probably, probably would have freaked out. Like, what the hell are you doing? You know, you're making a, a, a terrible mistake. But I knew 100% at the time that it was the right decision. Right and, well, and see, and that probably came through, man, because they know you. And so they, 
if you knew 100%, then they knew 100% too that you weren't, you know what I mean? There was a trust yeah. in you that you would have. It, it, was, it was cool. You know, I had, uh, you know, a lot of, I think the town I grew up in too, like I knew my parents, uh, all my friends, parents really well too. Yeah. So they were all coming after me like, you know, what are you doing? This is a terrible mistake and everything. And, um, you know, later on, they all apologize. Yeah, uh, they really- yeah for sure. <laughs> That's always the way it goes, man, for sure. Yeah. So but, how, yeah. how did you know? Like, how did you know? And what was, so what was that term? You're at UCLA, you're doing all this stuff. Like how, what was it that made you go, you know what, this isn't it. I need to go over here. Like, was there a, a, a defining moment? Was it something that happened over time? Like, how did you know? And how did you make that decision? There, you know, it, it probably was brewing, but there was definitely a defining moment. I think it was like a holiday weekend, like Labor Day weekend. And I had been in the coffee shop for like four days straight. Um, I studied molecular cell and developmental biology. And it was just like over the top, amount of schoolwork and I was also working in a research lab in preparation for like whatever my next step was and I just I wasn't liking any part of it and then every aspect of like the direction I can go was like I can go into academia which didn't seem like I didn't want to be a teacher and I didn't want to um be stuck on campus all day I didn't want to be a researcher because you're basically in a lab all day and everyone around me was in the lab was smoking cigarettes unhealthy um you know i didn't like their lifestyle it didn't seem like it fit with me at all because i'd always been sporty i like athletics i like sports i like being around people i like being social it was very anti-social it was very much like you're doing your work it's very individualized there was no real collaboration at all and um medicine just didn't seem like an interesting avenue as well. It just seemed too much like um, I'm going to be in school forever. And and at the same time, I was helping a friend who just opened a jujitsu school. He moved out. He was a Henzo Gracie black belt. This was 2003. Jujitsu was getting popular. He opened a school in Hollywood. I was helping him run the school. And I got a taste of the entrepreneurial, that there's other aspects, there's other directions you can go. And watching him build the school up, kind of being involved in it, helping him, the excitement of like watching a business grow, um, all the different aspects that you have to learn. Like I had to learn marketing. I had to learn sales. I had to understand like how websites work, how search engine optimization worked. I had to like, so it was like, I was in school because I was pretty much addicted to learning. I've kind of been that way my whole life. So School seemed like the place to be because I wanted to learn, but I didn't realize like you could learn for the rest of your life. You don't need to be in an institution um, to learn. You can learn, you can open your computer and learn as much information as you could possibly imagine. Um, And it was also practical because it was, I was involved in it. So it wasn't theoretical. It's like the idea of starting my own business and being my own boss, um, having to learn everything on the fly seemed way more exciting and adventurous than just being um, in school forever and then being in medicine and then kind of being over that, you know, stuck in that institution as well, which is rigid and conservative. That's right. That's exactly right. That the step outside of, of the theory into practical application, man, is something that um, we have uh, culturally, religiously put to the side to everybody's detriment. Um, 
I mean, we, we live in this, in this world of theory and we put academia on a pedestal when it doesn't have the practical application, you know, component involved. And, uh, you know, I talk to parents all the time and go, okay, are you, are you willing to spend, if your, your child gets into UCLA, are you willing to spend 200 grand so they can go to UCLA? Yes, absolutely. Sounds great. Okay. What about the fact that, you know, what it, we're in 2023 right now and there's, you've got a quarter of the college grads from like 2020 that are still unemployed um, or, you know, or working at a job they could have gotten with no degree uh, whatsoever. I mean, that's still an issue, right? So are, are you concerned about that? Well, yeah, maybe sort of. Okay, would you give them that same 200 grand and buy an operational business that they can go then run? Oh, no, that's too risky. <laughs> what? Yeah. Right? Like that, you know, that is, that's bananas. So you got a taste of that. So did you break off and go, okay, well, now I'm going to go open my own? Yeah, the guy turned it out to be like, very difficult to work with. Um, it was good because I got to learn what not to do from a managerial standpoint. He was not a good manager. The guy, and, you know, I was helping him. I was doing a lot, but I couldn't, you know, the relationship wasn't going to work out, which is, you know, the other thing that I learned early on in that stage is like the people that you partner with in a business sense, it's like a marriage and, you know, it's helpful to have partners, but it, it, it could be a really difficult thing if you if it's not going well. You get stuck and you're trapped and you've put time in. And you don't want to just walk away. But essentially, I had to just walk away from that. I felt like I put a lot in, but I had to just walk away. And um, I ended up going to Santa Barbara and, and getting an opportunity. Um, there was an existing business there that I felt could be a lot better. So I kind of was helping and I was giving ideas and I was trying to convince the guy that was um, running the school that he needed a business partner. And of course he didn't think that he needed a business partner. He was Brazilian. He was very much like old school thinking. Um, I had like crazy ideas. I was 25. So I didn't know what I was talking about in his mind and probably didn't know what I was talking about, but I had like so much belief that this is the direction. I just saw like the mixed martial arts world going in the same direction the fitness industry went. And I thought, you know, hey, if you have a nice facility, it's organized, it's clean, it'll do really well because the gyms back then were just very poorly run. They were dirty. Yep. You know, they didn't really appeal to a very large percentage of the population. So I wanted to change that. Um, he was resistant, resistant, resistant. So it's not like that's the other lesson. It's not like people are just happy to give you part of their business. You know, no one's going to just say, hey, you deserve this. Here you go. The, you kind of have to wedge yourself in by force. So what I had to do was say, hey, well, this is what I want to do. I think this is going to work. I'd like to partner with you and, and, and do this together because I think that the reputation is there. Um, if you're not wanting to go that path, that's fine, but I'm going to open my own business. I'm going to be competing against you. And the notion of that, and one of the guys I've been doing private lessons with was in the oil and gas business. He had plenty of money and he was going to fund me. So then this guy had to go, okay, well, I'm either going to partner with this young kid that doesn't know what he's talking about and, or he's going to compete against me and open this big, nice gym. So the fear of that competition drove him into a partnership. And, um, and obviously, you know, I, I got the opportunity to, to be my own boss and to expand and to make every mistake you could possibly make along the road which was how I learned. And I think the advantage of starting young is you're going to make so many mistakes that at least by the time you're like 40, I'm now 41. Like 
I know enough where I like, I don't have to make the mistakes now. So if you wait and you open a business when you're older and wiser, right? You're going to make all the mistakes that everyone else makes. But if you start younger, now you're experienced by the time you're like, For you know, sure. <laughs> yeah, so. Sure. Well, and then that, so in that regard, so that gentleman that you, that you partnered with, I'm assuming maybe this was his first go around too, right? Because I always like to play these games of like, okay, um, you came in at 25, you've got this belief, um, you've got this, you know, you're, you got the, the vim and vigor, man, and you're ready to freaking get after it. Um, and this guy, you know, is maybe making his first go around. So if you're in his shoes now, now you're 41, you've got archetype, you've got, you know, and, and this young, young guy that's 25, you know, all, all piss and vinegar comes in and he's like, Hey man, I'm either, I want to partner with you or I want to compete. You've got 16 years now under your belt where you can actually make an informed decision. It's not out of fear. It is right. It's an actually an informed decision. Like, ah, it doesn't really matter. You're not going to compete with me. Here you go. Or yeah. You know what? Come on, come on board. You actually have some wisdom to pull from. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like to me, it's exciting. Like I want to work with people that are passionate and have the desire to grow and learn. Um, he was just very much like, you know, there's like, I think there's climbers and there's campers. Yeah. And he was a camper. I think he liked to just maintain status quo. Yeah. A little money in the bank. He wasn't really interested in expansion. You know, we, we were very different when it came to like, you know, a lot of the fundamentals, um, which was probably, you know, beneficial to me because he wasn't in my way. He just let me yep. go. And maybe if there's two of me, we would have done this more. I, I don't know. But, yeah. you know, I, I would look more for, I, I don't think there's any business that you're not, any job you're going to not get. If you come in with the right attitude and, you're, and you want to work hard and learn, there's not a lot of people like that. So you're going to get most every job if, if that's your real attitude that you understand that the money you're getting paid is not really where the value is. It's, it's the opportunity to learn and grow because later you become more valuable and then you make the money because you know what you're doing. So it, the, the value is in the experience and it's in the lessons learned over the years. And I think when you're young, you don't realize that you just expect that you should be getting paid, but you shouldn't be getting paid because you have no value. And the only way you're going to get value is if someone takes a risk on you and says, okay, I'll teach you. You might screw up and hurt my business while I'm teaching you, but eventually you'll know something. And then maybe I'll make some of that money back I spent on you along the way. So they're kind of taking the risk on you. So really it should be the gratitude back and not, you know, this kind of demand. Um, oh, that's, yeah, I love that, man. You guys, that's, that's a lot of wisdom to take away right there. You know, he's, he's saying the word belief. He's saying he's 25 and he came in with belief and there's a fine line between belief and delusion sometimes gentlemen. Right. And the belief is something that you, you earn. It's a belief in yourself and you earn that by what we were talking about earlier, right? You're continuously showing up and doing the things that you've set out for yourself. Right. So you believe in yourself because you always, you always come through, you come through on the goals you have set for yourself. You always come through on that. You stay consistent on that so you've earned the right to believe in yourself and that's what you're expressing when you're walking into these opportunities is that you believe in yourself enough that you'll earn the right to get more and more responsibility there right the delusion is you go in and you what sean said you expect you just expect because you showed up 
that you're going to need to be taken care of as opposed to, no, I'm going to come in and I'm going to do everything I can to earn my spot or my keep. You know, that's a big difference, man. Oh, it's a lot of wisdom. Um, so did you end up opening multiple locations? Yeah. So basically, um, I got bored managing the gym. So 10 yeah. years later, you know, so 28, 2008 opened the gym. 2017, we opened a second location. Um, it was in Santa Barbara. So it's not a big town. Um, there's a university there. So we opened the second location close to the university. Um, I needed to like go through the process of learning how to operate two locations, um, how to make it work, go through the process of getting another lease, um, negotiating the lease, doing a build out, making the 500 mistakes that you make while doing the build out and trying to like operate, try not to, basically the first business was paying for that build out. So it's like very stressful because you, the banks like never will give you a loan. Um, it's pretty, the, the most brutal thing is that <clears throat> you want to open a business. You basically <clears throat> have to pay a ton of money upfront and you have to, you're not going to get a, a business loan unless you get an individual loan, which they're either going to ask for a piece of your business or they're going to ask for a really high interest rate or both. So you're giving up a lot right off the bat. Um, banks won't even look at you because you don't have enough assets. You basically have to have like double the assets of what they're going to loan you. And if you had that, you wouldn't get the loan in the first place. So right. you basically take a, a big risk. Um, the city, at least the city of Santa Barbara, wasn't really on our side. So even though you're going to bring tax revenue to the city by operating a business and you're going to, you're going to have a payroll, you're going to give people jobs, you're paying all this money up front, you're paying fees and you're trying to open a business and they make it difficult every single step along the way. Um, it's kind of backwards because if you need unemployment, you can get money from the government, but if you want to start a business, you don't get any help from the government, which right. there's a lot of backwards things I think is out there, but there's not enough help as far as like people that are entrepreneurial that don't just have a ton of cash sitting around, but want to start something and contribute. So you have to basically do it yourself, which is fine. And that's a good way to go. Cause you get the whole like real experience um, in the weeds, which I got, but we opened the second location. It did well. Um, I ended up selling it when I moved to Texas, but um, I needed to like continue the process of growth and, and, and I'm not like a happy, just managing a business. I want to keep growing and expanding because yeah. I'm addicted to the, the change and the growth because that's what's exciting and that's what's adventurous. I don't want a boring life. I don't want, it's not really the money at that point. It's more of like growing individually because that's at the end of the day, that's what makes you feel content and fulfilled is that you're constantly growing. And that's why I work out so much. That's why I like hard sports because at the end of the day, you're either going to feel one way or the other. And it's very cut and dry. Like you're either going to challenge yourself and you're, and you're going to feel fulfilled or you're not. Right. And that's going to either lead to like slowly over time being stronger and stronger or being more and more depressed and more miserable. And then you start making excuses and it goes like this. Spot on, man. Spot freaking on. Um, gentlemen, I have, I have one or two more questions that I want to, because um, I want to go forward on this just a little bit, but you guys start putting your hands up. I'll start calling on you guys here in a second. Um, what was 
the thing that prompted the move to Texas? Was there anything in particular there? And and then I want to give these guys a little bit of like what the day to day looks like for you now and kind of what that process of growth, because I love that. I I'm, I get that, that addiction to growth and continuously moving forward. So what does that trajectory look like for you now? But let's start with what prompted the, the Texas move. So the, in Santa Barbara was too small and it was a retirement town and there's a lot of secondary money, which is means basically um, a bunch of parents have a lot of money and their kids get money because their parents have a lot of money. It's primary income would be like, you make the money. Secondary income means your, your parents are rich. Mm -hmm. So it's the highest secondary income city in the country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's not that inspiring, right? There's a lot of kids that just hang out at country clubs and have money. And then there's a lot of kids that are in college and then, you know, and yeah. there's not, there's a lot of transition and there's not, so it was not a great place to run a business. The only reason we were there in the, in the beginning with is because the Brazilians wanted to be by the ocean to surf. That's the only reason those gyms are there. Um, so I needed to move to a city that was thriving and growing because Santa Barbara was basically status quo. They don't want to change. They want to look like a Spanish pretty town. So people come and they spend tourists, you know, tourist dollars there. But for like a young entrepreneurial professional, it was not a inspiring, stimulating environment. So Austin, Texas seemed like the perfect place where like there was growth. There was um, a lot of uh, tech, a lot of excitement, a lot of people going there. It seemed like the perfect place for me to go. And I wanted to open a boxing gym. I've, I had this idea for like six years to do this boxing gym. I just didn't know how I do it and keep the other businesses. So it was like, what was I going to do? Was I going to sell these businesses? Because they were making money. So the original plan was to keep the businesses move to Texas and try to run them all. Um, now the pandemic came along and destroyed all those businesses. So that was that. So that kind of made the decision a lot easier. I was already planning on moving, but basically 12 years of work just went evaporated like that. Um, and California was probably the worst place to be during the pandemic for a business owner, especially if your business is rolling on top of each other, grappling. Yeah, um, not very good for when there's a uh, at all. Epidemic. At all. Wow, so that drove me over to Texas. Yeah, and did you get in and just launch right away? So, no. So I, I moved early 2021, signed a lease in April, and then had all kinds of. I thought this is the fourth lease I've signed. I thought that I knew what I was doing by now. No, unfortunately, there's so many things that could possibly go wrong that you're constantly dealing with new things so the building we moved into like had issues with the plumbing it had issues with the ac basically regulations like delayed us from opening for months and months and it was stressful and you know it's the same old story um it's never going to be easy and then you know you look back on it and it's kind of better that it's that way because it's kind of funny there's humorous stories you could tell um but you, you know you just learn hopefully the next time i'll know a little bit more and i'll like save money because like all, all that happens when you make bad decisions is you lose money. That's right. So that's all right. You can make money back. And then you, you hopefully you're a little wiser and you don't like keep wasting money over and over again. But I, I tend to just keep making stupid decisions when it comes to that. That's awesome. I'll get Zane. I'll get up. So I can't even call you Zane. I have to call you Samsung, right? Why'd you change it, Zane? What's going on, man? You're throwing off the whole thing. But Zane, let's get yours. <laughs> 
I finally made an account on Zoom. So now uh, well I done, have sir. a crazy little name. Um, yeah. Yes, I just wanted to ask you, like, how did you deal with the pandemic? Like, how most people after the pandemic hit, they just kind of like lost all motivation and stopped. What kept you going? Um, so I had already put 12 years of work into that damn gym and I wasn't just going to roll over and watch it all wash away. But what we had to do this, the state of California and the city was like, you have to shut your business down. So we did, we had to shut it down. We had to basically push a button and then freeze every membership. So at that time, it's like a, a bit of, obviously it's, I've never dealt with that. Like no business has to deal with the fact that like, your revenue goes to zero all of a sudden and all of a sudden at the same time as your revenue goes to zero, you still have hundred percent of your expenses. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, that's just, what are you going to do? So we had to just get extremely creative. Um, that type of intense pressure is going to bring the best out of you. Um, you're going to have to figure it out and you're just going to sit there and think and the pressure of the situation and the desperateness of the situation and the fact that I had like 40 employees. So I felt an obligation to not let everyone down because they still needed to get paid. Everyone still has bills to pay, even though you're not able to work somehow that has to work out. So our landlord, lucky enough, I had cultivated a really good relationship with him, which is the key to having good relationships in life. If you have good relationships with people and then these situations come up, he basically was like, don't pay rent. Don't have to worry about it. You don't owe me any money. We'll figure this out. So both my landlords did that because we had just opened the second gym in 2018. So now we had two gyms to operate and we had no income. So both landlords were great. Um, we did a few like raffles and things with our existing members because we freeze their accounts. They felt like they wanted to help us out because we had good relationships with all of our clients. So they were helpful. We did some raffles. We raised some money to pay for our employees for a few months. Then like I was diligent when the PPP loan came out. So I was like, right away, I got on it. It was like a matrix of like difficult banking. Like the application was difficult. So I had to like figure out the application. I had to submit it immediately because I felt like, okay, there's going to be a, only a small amount of these. I then got like an economic disaster loan that was like also helpful so i took out as many loans as i could i got that government free money i got both pp loans that helped um there was another state of california loan that i was able to get that was helpful that i didn't have to pay back and then when we were able to open back up we probably lost like 70 percent of our members but the 30 percent helped pay for like basic needs so mm -hmm. i didn't have any income for like two and a half years my income went down from like 19,000 a month to zero. Mm -hmm. So my whole lifestyle just went like this. Luckily, my wife makes good money too. So she kind of like stepped up, which is good, having good partnerships, good relationships. Once again, like if I didn't have a good relationship with my wife, that would have been trouble because all of a sudden I'm like a major contributor and all of a sudden I'm like basically like have nothing. Mm -hmm. And she had to step up and basically pay for everything you know, for a while until I can get back on my feet. And she was also very supportive to move to Austin and to watch me rebuild from zero. So yeah, I didn't have time during the pandemic to answer your question to like, what was me and roll around. It was like, nope, not gonna, I'm not going down with this. Like, 
I had dealt with like every California disaster, forest fires. We had this huge mudslide in California, especially in Santa Barbara that like wiped our town out. Like it was kind of like one thing after another. And this was the worst thing by far. I think any business is ever gonna have to deal with is hopefully there's no more of these pandemics, but um, yeah, it sucked. Wow. Yes, sir. And yeah. another question, what is the best advice for opening a business? How did you go about opening it? And what did you think is the best way to open? Well, you, you have to first have a skill that you're confident enough to sell. So you have to have something you can bring to the market that's valuable. Um, now, it's for me, it was a, it was a service because I felt like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at the time was a service that was people loved. And I felt at the time that the coaches and the people running the gym did a very poor job. I felt like they were unorganized. I felt like their gyms were disgusting and dirty. I felt like they were lazy. They didn't show up on time. They were always late. Um, they had no curriculum, no structure, no organization. But even though they were doing, in my opinion, they were doing a subpar job, their businesses were successful. They were making money. People were coming in wanting to learn. So I saw that as an opportunity like, hey, if I just do a little bit better than these guys, which seemed easy because the bar was low, then I can jump in and, and be successful. And it turned out to be correct. Like I felt like, hey, have a clean gym, do a good job, um, welcome people, bring a little bit more hospitality to a business that has zero hospitality. Um, and that was my avenue in. So you can't just open a business. You have to have a really good idea. You have to know what you're doing. And you have to be able to bring something to the market that's valuable. So I think it's more of a question of how you become valuable and then you get to do something. So, you know, you either have to create something, come up with something, or you could be, you could watch business. Like for me, I'd always like, if I go to a business, I'd watch and just pay attention. Like, what did I like? What did I not like? Do they do a good job? Was their product good? Like a lot of restaurants have good food, but the service is not warm right? They don't have good hospitality. They don't like make you feel uh, seen or welcome when you come in. Like they might have a really good, you know, some places like they have the best bagel in town and they know that everyone's going to come in because they have the best bagel, but they're kind of rude and their staff's rude. And you're kind of annoyed every time you go in there, but you're like, okay, I really like the bagels. I'm going to go into this damn place anyway, but it would be better if they weren't rude and they actually made everyone. So there's a difference between like being like a world-class business, which is you have to have great product service and great like hospitality and that old school, like make you feel almost like how grandparents used to like make you feel welcome. And they'd like, you know, they bring you in the house. It's like those old values that have disappeared. You have to pair those with like modern innovation and like, you know, a great product. You can't just have a great product. If you don't have a great product, you're going to fail immediately. So you have to have that. But if you also compare that with like great service, great hospitality, then I think you can stand above most others. Mm. So yes, good. Sir. thank you very much. Yeah. yeah, you guys that the old school, the the old school vibe with the modern innovation, you guys that that old, you know, that that old style character and, and that care with the modern innovation, you guys that 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 combo, um, man, sky is the limit. Sky is the limit for you guys. And then I love, I want to go back to what he was talking about there with relationships too, you know, and Zane, it was a great question, but 
relationships were the what sustained both sides, right? It's really good relationships sustained him being able to have some advantages because he wasn't a jerk and because he had those relationships, then he had the opportunity to, okay, we're not going to have to pay rent here. But it was also his commitment to the relationships of the people that were, you know, that he was responsible for leading that helped continue to provide that energy to move forward too, right? Relationships sustained both sides of that, you know, and that's something extraordinarily valuable for you guys. He's talking about the distractions of video games and these things, how they're engineered, right? One of the biggest downsides, man, it's not just the distractions, but the fact that it takes you out. It's those are hours spent that could be hours pouring into relationships for you guys as well, right? And those things, I mean, it, it, again, it, it, it's invaluable on a day-to-day -day basis. It's invaluable in a, in a crisis like this too. So yeah, it's powerful stuff, man. Oh, so good. Parker, go ahead, sir. I have two questions for you, sir. Well, but first off, I just wanted to thank you for coming on here. And my first question is a question that I stole from Alex Ormazi, and it is, uh, what do you believe to be true that isn't? And then uh, I'll just tell you my second question right now. What is the uh, biggest lesson you've learned in terms of marketing and or sales uh, through your business journey? What's the thing that I believe is true that isn't true? That's a tough question. That is a tough question. Yeah, that's deep. Um, I don't. I don't know if there's things that I have like deep beliefs in that are just complete falsehoods that I'm like convincing myself <laughs> it's like true. Um, that's a really that's a tough question, man. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I have a good answer to that. Um, I like the thought exercise on that. Parker, when you say you got it from Alex, is it something that Alex, uh, you heard him ask or you heard somebody ask him? How, yeah, how... Uh, talking with someone about how it was one of his favorite questions to ask, uh, ask people. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting thought exercise. I almost have to ponder on that. Yeah, I would too. Wow. Um... Let's definitely answer your second one. What was your second one was about sales and marketing? Sales and marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Valuable lessons in, in there that you learned sales and marketing wise. So I was interested in both of those things. So that's it helpful because if you're not interested in something, it's hard to like go deep on it. Um, when I was in medical school, a lot of the, a lot of the kids that were in those science classes, they were um, Indian and Persian. And their parents kind of drove it into their head that if they weren't a lawyer or a doctor, they were kind of failures in life. Um, so a lot of them were in school trying to be doctors and lawyers and hated every aspect of what they were learning. So because they disliked it so much, they had to study like probably six times more than I did to absorb the information. Like I was generally interested in science. So it was easy for me to absorb what I was reading and studying and do well on a test. So you know, with, to answer your question with, with marketing for me, it was interesting. I was always interested because when you're self-employed, there's many things that you need to learn. Um, and you need to learn them so that you can then pass that off to somebody else eventually. But in the beginning, you don't have the money to hire somebody to do every part of the gym or whatever business you're in. So you have to like be, a you know, reasonable enough job and all these things to be able to do it yourself. So when your business starts making a little bit of money, you could start passing some of those duties off and you have to pass those duties off because 
if you're doing everything, nothing's really getting done that well. Mm-hmm. So if you know a little bit about marketing and then you're interviewing someone to take over the marketing job, you know enough to be able to at least ask questions and like make sure that they know what they're talking about. Otherwise, you'll just take it on their word and someone might be a contractor and convince you to do this really expensive marketing plan and nothing works. And you kind of were just, you were sold on something because you didn't understand enough about it, especially with things like search engine optimization was just getting popular when I opened the gym and nobody knew anything about it. It's still very complicated, but if you don't know anything about it, then someone can just call your business and solicit you and just be like, Hey, I'm going to take care of all your search engine optimization. It's really important. Don't you want to be on the top page of Google, blah, 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 blah. And if you don't know what they're talking about, you're like, yes, I do. Here's money. Right. Mm -hmm. They might not know what they're, they might not be that qualified. And if you don't understand, if you can't have a conversation with them and ask them questions that are relevant to what they're actually going to be doing, then you can't qualify them yourself. So then you're going to end up getting taken advantage of. So luckily I wanted to learn everything about sales marketing and it was interesting for me to learn and I knew there was value in it. So along the way, like, you know, I kept trying different things. Google AdWords was just getting going. So I jumped into Google AdWords and the, now it's so automated that like anyone can probably set one of those accounts up. But in 2010, it was difficult. YouTube had just kind of gotten going. So there was no YouTube. Um, So paid advertising was still very new when it came to internet marketing. So I was kind of like trial and error at the time. And it was kind of confusing to learn about it, but I learned about it and it was helpful because it was kind of cutting age. So there wasn't a lot of businesses paying for, to get like ranking marketing. So um, basically you just have to jump in and start playing around with it and doing it. There's no better way of learning than to just trial and error. That's basically the way to do it. And if you're excited about it, it's fun. You know, even if it's your money and especially if it's your money, because then you're kind of learning, you're seeing things come and go, you can monitor it. You can see if it's working, you can try something else. But basically one of the keys with marketing is like, Basically, they take like an A and a B, right? There's two ads, A, B, right? You try them both, whichever one works, right? You throw the other one away and then you take another A, B and you just do that forever and you find really good ads because you just compare them against the other one. And it's just basically just process of just learning and growing. And eventually you get wiser and you kind of learn like what your market wants to see. And that's like later on, like now I know exactly what market I want. I know what kind of people I want. I know what demographic I want. And that's only because I've had all of them and I know which ones are trouble. Like I know a lot of kids from like 19 to 26 are going to be a complete pain in the ass customer. And the reason is because they don't have any money. And it's not just that they don't have any security. So they're in school, their income goes up and down. They're, they're basically, they come in, they say, Hey, I want to learn how to box. I'm like, okay, this is what it costs, blah, blah, blah. A month later, they're like, oh, my schedule changed at school. I have to quit now. I'm like, what, <laughs> what are you yeah. talking about? You just bought everything. Just because your, your schedule changed, you're just going to quit and give up all your hobbies? Like, Which this is not what you want to do, by the way. Um, but that was how I learned that I don't want to have a business that's reliant on kids 19 to 25. I want to rely on people 35 to 55. Because they're set in their life. They know what they want. They have a job. They understand value. They can appreciate things. They're more grateful. Um, People, I think, get better with age. And I'd rather have a a business built around people. They're going to appreciate what I do. 
and not bounce checks and not give me crappy excuses and not be a pain in the ass. So true story. True story. <laughs> ah, so good. What do you think, Parker? There. Yeah. That's the, uh, the, the background knowledge, you know, having that background knowledge, um, to be able to field those questions. So you can't just be solicited, you guys. And that's a mistake that, you know, I definitely had made over and over and over again. And it's such a, um, that's a, it's a powerful concept to get, to get that background knowledge or to partner with somebody who has the background knowledge um, that you don't uh, is, is a big deal. And finding those areas of, of, uh, of weakness, you know, partnering with somebody in that is, and the, the whole point of, Hiring somebody, you know, what, what he's talking about. Satema, I was talking about. One second, I'm going to let my dog out. It's good. Yeah, no worries, man. Um, you know, Satema was talking, uh, I was talking to him the other day about that. And he says, you know, really, says what you're doing is you're buying back your time. Anytime you're able to expand and you're able to partner with something, you're buying back your time, which now at your age might not seem like a big deal. As you get older and there are more and more and more responsibilities, your ability to buy back that time by partnering with somebody matters. Right. So that, that becomes a, uh, it becomes a very powerful thing. Matthew, go ahead, sir. Uh, thank you for coming on today, sir. I was wondering if you, if you find yourself that doing something that you don't like really enjoy doing, but you still need to do it. How do you focus on like finishing that? Mm. Well, so most things that I, I, I feel like my daily routine is filled with things I don't necessarily feel like doing. Um, it's not a simple concept to understand, but like, I'm looking at my backyard right now and I have to go back there and mow the grass. I have to kill the weeds. Um, there's, there's a lot of maintenance issues that I have to do that I've been at work all day. I'm, I'm working out. I'm tired. It's not necessarily what I want to do, but if I do it, I know that at the end of the day, when I'm sitting there relaxing, I'm going to feel better and I'll look outside. I'm like, Oh, it's in order. Everything's looking good. And there's something about work that, you know, it's, it's corny to say it's its own reward, but it really is. Um, What you're getting out of it is nothing more than the little feeling of contentment at the end of the day. And that's all you get. And that is what people refer to as happiness. So it's like, are you feeling accomplished? Did you challenge yourself? Did you do something hard? Like my workouts every day are so torturous because I want to feel at the end of the day fatigued. I want to feel like my muscles and my body are dead so that I could just hit the pillow and fall asleep. Um, The other reason I do it is to kind of stop myself from just getting an endless cycle of thinking about everything that's going wrong at the gym, what I need to fix, what I need to do next, because like your brain won't shut off and then you can't sleep and then you don't get good sleep and then everything compounds. So if I work out hard, not only do I sleep better and I feel better the next day, but I can shut off this brain that's just constantly going, do this, do this, do this, because that, you know, that's the downside of the way that I think is that you know, I'm hard on myself. I want to always hit certain, like, I I feel like I should be further along with the gym than I am. I should be okay. I should have more students. I should be making more money. I should be opening second location. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. So I'll just go crazy thinking about that. 
And the reality is it takes time. Everything takes time. Everything's way harder than you think. So, you know, that exercise, it puts me at, at ease at the end of the day. And that piece, that piece is invaluable and it's hard to explain why it's so invaluable, but you'll be sore the next day and you won't feel like doing it. You have to do it every single day. And days where I'm most tired, it's the most important for me to do it just because then I wake up like after a workout now I'm awake. Now I feel good. Like it's, it's weird to think you're going to feel better after doing something hard, but you do. It's like, I take a cold shower in the morning. It's not what I want to do. It's cold. It's miserable, but I feel 10 times better afterward than if I take a hot shower, but take a hot shower. I feel like taking a nap. I feel tired. I'm not woke up. I'm not like invigorated. Mm -hmm. So I think things that are difficult invigorate you. It's like, like I want to be stimulated. I want to be doing exciting things. I do not want to be sleepy. I don't want to feel lethargic. Like I hate that feeling more than anything. So, you know, I'm driven by that, that stimulus of adventure and action and your life should be an adventure. It shouldn't be boring and mundane. Matt, what do you think, Matthew? Thank you, sir. Guys, he's speaking to your DNA right there. You, your design is no different. Your design is no freaking different than that. Physical health is mental health, period, period. If you're feeling miserable, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling beat up, you're feeling down, whatever it is, the physical health is your mental health. Getting that stuff handled is your mental health. And then what he was talking about there too, taking care of your responsibilities, bringing order to your life, your presence, bringing order because you did the things you needed to do. And you can look out and you can see that things are in their place what did he say? It's what brings you that peace, right? It's what people call happiness. So again, if you've got something where you're feeling like, ah, um, things are a little messed up. I don't have the peace. I don't have the happiness. I don't have the joy. I don't have the physical good feel. Like I, I'm feeling down. I'm feeling depressed. You're doing the opposite of what Sean's telling you right now. You're not being intentional about getting physically active and getting your stuff in order. That's where the answer is. That's in your design period. End of freaking story. Dude, so good. So what's the next, what's, what's kind of the next phase of growth for you? And then because we do put this out as a podcast, it gets, you know, six figure downloads too. I want to make sure people know where to go to, to, to see what you've got going on and, and be able to follow you too. But what's kind of the next phase of growth, you know, in that, okay, I got the gym. Is it growing the gym? Is it expanding? Yeah. Is there something on the outside of that? What does that look like for you, bud? So I want to, I want to open another gym by the end of this year. I feel that boxing gyms are just like I said, jujitsu gyms are run poorly. Boxing gyms are, are run even worse. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to bring basically quality boxing instruction and I want to bring it all over the country. So I want to grow as many as I can. Um, so I want to open two or three in Austin and then expand from there. So, you know, I'm on my own timeline of trying to, to push these out and I, and I see what the sport does for people. Um, so, you know, especially people that are older, they need, um, sports that kind of challenge them and make them, you know, want to work out more and move their body more and, and be, you know, be more social. It's, it's, it's a very uh, community focused sport and sure. people, people need that. A lot of people are working remote now. So I'm trying to, 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 to create something that brings people together. It also gives like more boxing coaches a chance to like make good money doing what they love. Cause if the gyms run poorly, then all the coaches don't make any money too. So it's like, right. you no, know, it's kind of the, up to the, to the business if it's run well everyone does well so that, that's my 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 goal at the moment that's exciting man so where do people follow along to the gym you where would you have people go because we're gonna have a lot of listeners on this too yeah. so you know 
we're Archetype Boxing Club. That's the name of the company. Um, Archetype Boxing Club. We have an Instagram. We have a website. Um, you know, I have an Instagram. It's all linked. Basically, everything on my Instagram is connected with with martial arts. And um, even though I do I do mixed martial arts every day, um, my business is wrapped around boxing because that's what I'm pushing right now. Mixed martial arts um, is growing. I, I, I think it's very helpful for people to to do a sport that's that's combative that builds up your um, your self esteem and makes you feel um, more secure. I, I think that people are, are, are less violent when they're secure. Um, and, you know, you'll feel just better in your own skin when you know how to defend yourself. Um, so I think it's just a good thing for communities to have more of that. Um, so that that's the goal is just to kind of to grow that. Because I've seen like, you know, like at our old gym, we'd have people coming in and, you know, you could tell that they're not quite there there's things that are off about them and within a few years they they kind of come to the middle and i think it's just being around other people and 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 getting uh support and also you know challenging themselves it it brings them back so i think that you know it's just healthy as a community to have sports and um activities and hobbies that are challenging and bring people together those are all good things so i think so too man got you you know that's I've never thought, I've, I've thought, I think of it this, you know, building schools, I've always thought of it this way in, in education, but I've never thought, but I, I think you're spot on, man, as you said that it, it almost restores the factory settings. Yes, it does. People, right. And that's, I got some guys that are like in their late fifties, they came in, I'm like, well, oh, these guys are weird. Yeah. And yeah. They, were weird. they were weird. Like yeah. it wasn't just me, like they're socially odd. Yeah. And they came to the gym every day and they'd, you know, box and do jiu-jitsu and things like that. And little by little, like they start joking a little bit more, like you could kind of rib them a little, you got fun with them. They smile more. All of a sudden they're like becoming more healthy. And then by, by the end, they're still weird, but they're not, they're way more normal. And yes. they're, they're in, they're in the bell curve of like, they'll be fine. You know, it's not, they're not going to stand out. Yeah. So, so freaking true, man. Yeah. That's a good, that's a great insight, man. Oh, brothers. So thank you, man. Thank you for this. Thank you for your time. You have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow. Join the Apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com. For inquiries, contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes.